Can you hear me well enough? Okay. All right. Good morning again. Okay. My name is uh, Father Jamal Scarlett, as Father Wagner uh, had mentioned. Uh, I come from San Diego, California. Uh, that's that. That is home base for us. Uh, we're so grateful to be here. We're actually coming from Virginia. That was uh, that was our last duty station. I was uh, stationed on board a, an aircraft carrier there for three years, and so we uh, we have found our play, our, our home here in Chesterfield. I, I work out of the um, the Ray Federal Building out in St. Louis in the in the downtown area. So uh, so grateful to be with you this morning. Thankful for my wife and my kids and my mother-in-law who is here. She celebrated her birthday just yesterday. If you can give her a hand. Uh, I will not be before you long. Uh, We are going to be spending the bulk of our time this morning in the First Timothy text. But uh, the lectionary has us reading uh, First Timothy six eleven through nineteen. We're going to go back and. provide some context there. So if you can go into your pew Bibles, if you have them. If not, you can just uh, just listen along. We'll read verses 6 through 10 to provide some context for our sermon this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 6, 10, or 6, 5 through 10, rather. That's on page 992 of your pew Bibles, I believe. And once you are there, if you can say, Amen. Amen. Okay. Very well. Okay. So 1 Timothy, chapter 6, verses 5 through 10. Or actually 6 through 10, rather. Now there is great gain in godliness with contentment. We brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Well, a few years ago, uh, the online payment system PayPal made an error with the customer's account. This happens from time to time, right? Maybe it's happened to you. Uh, A mysterious payment of $50 or $150 or $500 suddenly appears into your account. Or out of your account. That's, that's also a thing, too. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and if you're, you're honest, uh, you don't spend the money because you know that it's not yours. And so you, you contact the bank or contact PayPal, whoever it is, and get that, get that sorted out. Well, in this case, Chris Reynolds, a public relations executive from Pennsylvania, opened his account to find that uh, he had been credited with 92 quadrillion dollars. It's a lot of zeros. Um, right? talking, talking about it later, he, he commented about seeing the money in his account. He said this, quote, it was quite a big surprise. Right. Right. 
So, like I said, uh, biggest understatement of, in the history of all uh, understatements. What was not a surprise was that PayPal caught the issue very quickly, um, and, and they said, uh, quote, and this is uh, in the article, obviously this was an error, right? Uh, I don't think uh, even Chris Reynolds could have argued with that, right? An amount that big must have been an error. No mysterious benefactor with that, that kind of amount. Well, I wonder this morning how you would feel if $92 quadrillion suddenly appeared in your bank account. Right? Would you? I would laugh too. Um, <laughs> would you see it as a, as a mysterious blessing, something wonderful that's happened? Right? Would it be a good thing, the, the ultimate get-rich-quick event that's happened to you? To suddenly be rich and to have all of this money. Well, let me hold just a, just maybe just one quadrillion. Uh, but no, uh, suddenly be rich and have all this money, right? And well, as as we open this letter that Paul pens to his son in the Lord, Timothy, uh, we find that Paul's words should give us pause, because he wants us to see that riches aren't all they're cracked up to be, right? In fact. As we read these words from Paul to Timothy, we hear that we have a choice. And we can desire and pursue riches at all cost, or we can desire and pursue God uh, to its full and ultimate and eternal end. The Apostle Paul is coming to the end of his letter to Timothy. Uh, uh, For those who do not know, Timothy is a a church leader, a pastor in Ephesus, which is what we would uh, now call in our modern day Turkey. Uh, And Paul has been talking to Timothy about his role as a pastor, and he's identified these false teachers that have come in, uh, in, come into the church, and have been spreading false ideas around. In particular, he highlights that these teachers um, tend to think that godliness, according to verse 5, is a means of financial gain. And so it goes without saying what, what was happening there in the first century also tends to, be, uh, to, to rear its head here even in the 21st century that there are church leaders among us that have the same idea as these false teachers. That somehow godliness and Christian ministry can be a way to financial gain. Um, early in our Christian life, Janice and I, Janice is my, is my wife, um, we were being discipled by a young man who attended the same church that we did out in California. And one day, this young man invited us to attend a youth, uh, an evening youth revival at a local church. And uh, the evangelist that was brought in to speak to us, as you can imagine, his methods were not, let's say, conventional. Uh, after what seemed like forever... He makes it. It was a long time, y'all. Um, he makes a call to come down to be healed for whatever was ailing them, uh, whatever it was ailing the congregation or the gathered community at the time. Which, you know, and uh, so I say to myself, okay. I mean, it's entirely fine to call uh, for healing. That's that's scriptural. Uh, James talks about that a lot. Um, and so uh, he opens that that time by saying this. He says, "We're going to make a call for healing prayer." Now. Let's start with those who feel it in their spirit to give to the Lord $100. (laughs) 
This is not a joke. I wish it was. But it's, I mean, it, it, it's very true, and it's very funny, too. Um, if you're willing to give the Lord a Benjamin Franklin, please come down and receive your healing. Yeah. Once he, he prayed for these folks, he proceeded to call those who were willing to give $50, uh, and then $20, uh, and then $10, uh, and then $5, and then $1, right? And after all of that, he, he says to the congregation, now, if you are broker than the Ten Commandments, uh, come forward and get your healing, right? We, we all but fell out of our chairs. Right? This man had just fleeced this congregation, he had just used his platform as a means of financial gain. Joking aside, the, the same desire for financial gain doesn't simply reside in, in that pastor. It, it lives within our own hearts. You see, what Paul, Paul has some sobering words for us in verse 9. What does it say? It says, but those who desire to be rich, they fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Paul wants us to see that the desire to be rich, to pursue riches at all cost, is a desire to go down a very dangerous path. It's a direction that is full of traps and pitfalls. And from the surface, it looks perfectly normal or perfectly okay. But as, you, as soon as you step into that path, you realize that the surface is not to be trusted. That, that it's dangerous that you've plunged down into the pit and you're trapped. Paul says that the way riches can act upon us, everything seems normal on the outside. Everyone around us is walking that same path, so it must be safe to walk. Right? And Paul says, watch out. Verse 10 for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And this, this verse is very well known, probably well known to every single person in this room. But if you're like me, you've heard this, you've heard it said, it's not, um, you've heard it said like this. Money is the root of all evil. Has anybody heard that? Right? Money is the root of all evil. Right? That's often how it's said, but that's not what Paul is saying here in this passage. First of all, he says that it is a, a singular root, one of many roots of all kinds of evil. Right? There are evils in this world where money uh, do not play a part. And that is to say that money is not the source of every evil that we come into contact with. Money can be used, or money is used as a tool. It's neither good, it's not bad. Uh, it's something that God has given us to use but once you make it the chief end of your life, then you're on shaky ground. Why? Right? Because that money becomes an idol. And when we idolize money, it has the ability to capture our affections. It has, it has the ability to capture our hearts, to capture our loves. And when it captures our affections, it begins to grow roots that bring forth ungodly fruit in our lives. It tends to drive out the love of God. And it's easy to think, at least in our 21st century, in our day and age, why can't we do both? 
Right? Why can't we do both? Why can't we love money and pursue riches and love God and do all of that at the same time? Well, because Jesus doesn't give us that option. Right? Jesus tells us that no one can serve two masters, that you'll either love money or you'll love God, and Paul is telling us the very same thing. Paul says in verse 10 that some of those folks who've decided to, to pursue riches, that through this craving, that some have wandered away from the faith. Right? They've left Jesus behind, and therefore they've pierced themselves with many griefs. The translators here have put it very, very mildly. Uh, the word pierced in, in Greek that Paul uses here literally means to be skewered on a spit and to be slow roasted, right? Um, in, in 2014, I became a, uh, I was commissioned as a naval officer. And after the ceremony, we had a very big party at my mom's house. And, and my mother-in-law, God bless her, um, surprised us with what's called a lechon. Does anybody know what a lechon is? One person. Well, that's all right. I'm going to, I'm going to tell you. Uh, uh, lechon, it's a Filipino delicacy you know, where a large pig is, is marinated for days and days, stuffed and slow roasted for days. I tell you, it is, it is, uh, it's a little piece of heaven. Um, and, and so, uh, and, and that's really the image that Paul is asking us to remember. The love of money drives out the love of God and leads us literally to barbecue ourselves. Now, this, is, this is vital for us to hear because the love of money is a very subtle attraction. It, it lures us in. It draws us very gradually. Right? It doesn't hit us all at once. Without, um, it, it's often without our notice of it. So it's good for us to take an inventory, especially when money tempts us to serve it and not God. So, so what does that look like for us practically here you know, as we're living our lives, trying to pursue God uh, in, in our everyday lives? What does it look like practically in the Christian life? I'm glad you asked. Right? For, uh, for that, we'll have to turn to the last three verses of our text. If you can go with me, if you can uh, go to your pamphlets. Uh, to verses 17 to 19, and I will read that for us. Verses 17 to 19. He says this, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take, a, take hold of that which is truly life. And Paul says, use your riches to be godly by investing in other people and giving it away. And being rich, and I, I need to say this maybe twice, I said this in the last... Um, Last service, being rich is not sinful. Um, I have to say that again. Being rich is not sinful. Right? In fact, Paul accepts the presence of wealthy Christians in the church. He doesn't argue for them to be rebuked or to be excommunicated simply because they're rich. 
Right? No, he just insists that rich people display a Christian attitude toward their wealth, and that consists of three things. And the first thing, these are my three points, the first thing is humility. Verse 17, Paul says to Timothy, command them or charge them not to be haughty or arrogant. Right? It's all too easy to allow um, access to status symbols to make me contemptuous toward other people. And we can make our careers, our cars, our homes, our educations, our, our vacations, our clothes, uh, badges of pride. You may mention something to someone about your job and you know their estimate of you will go up. Because that's how people's minds work. Right? And Paul says that it's a foolish thing to do because riches are so uncertain. Right? As verse 17 makes clear. As Jesus reminds us here in Matthew, we are not to lay up treasure on earth where moth or dust corrupt, where robbers come in and steal John Stott, in his commentary, he says, he says this about this passage. He says, Many have gone to bed rich and woken up poor. Woken up poor. Or, like the rich fool in Jesus' parable, many have not woken up at all. So, be humble, because your wealth is precarious. It has wings. End quote. Right? And if the, the financial crisis that we've just come out of has any indication uh, for us, has taught us anything, uh, it's taught us that our wealth can fly away. Right? So be humble if you have it. So don't just be humble. Secondly, be joyful. Be joyful. Look at the latter part of verse 17. He says, But to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. And maybe that seems like an unexpected statement. Right? Sure, says Paul, uh, we are to be content with food and clothing, according to verse 7 and 8, um, leading to a very simple lifestyle. Nevertheless, if it should please God to give us more, then what it says here is that we shouldn't refuse to accept it um, simply because we feel it's incompatible with the Christian life. No, we accept it with gratitude and with enjoyment. That's what verse 17 says. It says, enjoy it. Enjoy it. God gives us all things for our enjoyment. The material world is a part of God's good creation, so accept it, accept wealth as the divine generosity that it represents. Gratefully. Not with conceit. Not with arrogance. It's given to you to enjoy. But our understanding of enjoyment as Christians, has been transformed by the gospel, right? So it's, so it's joyfully investing in the things that are truly life, the things that are truly life-giving and eternal. Right? A man uh, was on vacation taking a walk outside his hotel, and suddenly he, he heard the screams of a woman uh, kneeling in front of a child. The man was told that, that the child had swallowed a coin, Seizing the child by, by the heels, the man held him up, gave him a few shakes, and a quarter dropped to the sidewalk. And, oh, thank you, sir, cried the woman. You seem to know just how to get it out of him. Are you a doctor? No, ma'am, replied the man. I'm with the Internal Revenue Service. <laughs> <laughs> 
it's 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 understandable <laughs> to be unenthusiastic about paying taxes, right? Uh, but when it comes to giving to the Lord, uh, we should have a joyful spirit. Um, we should be enjoying what God has given us. After all, He's given us every good thing that we have. Amen. So I am called to be humble with my wealth, joyful with my wealth. Uh, And lastly, God calls us to be generous. Uh, Look at verse 18 with me again. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. And and, and that's the question here. Um, Are we generous? Are we rich in good works? In the world's terms, in the West, we are very wealthy. All of us um, have a, a certain percentage of wealth. Um, but are we generous? Paul admonishes, uh, admonishes us here not to neglect uh, the good that you can do with your wealth. Uh, the Anglican Relief Development Fund and the, the jurisdiction of armed forces and chaplaincy, that's the, uh, that's the arm of the Anglican Church in North America that I'm a part of. Uh, we've come together to support a relief effort in Guatemala. For those who are, who are not aware, Guatemala is still reeling from a 36-year civil war where hundreds of thousands of Guatemalans have uh, were disappeared or were killed. Extortion, powerful crime organizations, gang violence, and high levels of impunity fuel the chaos that exists in that country. Father Dana Kraft is an Anglican priest who, in, in 2013, answered the call to serve the least and the lost in that community. And after a few months of being in the country, God led him and uh, other Guatemalans uh, to begin a church in the Guatemala city dump, um, arguably the most dangerous place in the country. Uh, with the economy ravaged by corruption, uh, many families considered the dump home. Right? And so... Mothers have been left to raise children because uh, their husbands uh, or or the men are often forced to join gangs or crime syndicates or else they become the targets of of gang violence. And so within the last six years, Father Dina uh, and fellow Guatemalans established what's called uh, Cristo Mi Redentor, which is Christ My Redeemer Anglican Church, where over 500 members are gathering on Sunday morning to receive word and sacrament. It's been a refuge for over 38 families. Uh, It's a a refuge center. Uh, And the church also works with local and U.S. agencies to provide medical care, dental care, eye care um, for many within that community that would go without um, had it not been for that ministry. Uh, They they have also opened up a second church in the the middle-class area of Guatemala City. And that ministry came, came out of a need to worship and a desire to reach the city dump as well. And so their offerings, their, their, um, their giving, offsets the cost of that ministry done in the city. Right? But in undertaking that important, that vast cannot be carried out by one church alone. Right? They need partners. And I had a chance to sit down with Father Dana, I'd say about a few months ago. We were at a, uh, at a meeting, and um, he had flown in from Guatemala. And I talked to him. I said, hey, um, I asked him what he thought he needed. And he said, and without any equivocation, he said, we need two things. Two things. 
Um, he said, we need your prayers and we need your resources. Uh, we need money to fund what God is doing here um, in, this, in this city. I think he's right. Um, so the question is, what about your generosity? We must not be like the rich man in Luke 16 who willfully decides to leave the man, Lazarus, languishing in his predicament. We need to be investing our wealth in good deeds. That's the key. And the truth is, is that you don't have to go to Guatemala in order to, to see or to help people in need. We can, we can drive 15 minutes northeast uh, and find that there are many ways that we can join God in being generous. Dr. McClyman doesn't know I'm going to say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, <laughs> he's, he started a prayer walking ministry uh, that needs your prayers, uh, that may um, require or may need um, you to, to begin to intercede on behalf of our city um, and may need your financial assistance in the future. Right? As you know, our church also is in the, in the middle of a capital campaign in order to expand our sanctuary and provide access to those who are less mobile bolster our education and discipleship programs. I, I, I've only been here for a couple of months, but I, I see in the bulletins on a weekly basis um, how generous this church has been uh, in that capital campaign giving. Um, and so I only encourage you to continue to do that. Um, we are investing in the future. Right? Our investment in Lazarus is a kingdom investment that we are being called into. And Paul says that when we do that, we are storing up treasures uh, for ourselves as a good foundation for the future so that we may take hold of that which is truly life. There is a way, though, to use your wealth that forfeits eternal life, not because eternal life is bought, but because the use of your money shows where your hope is. Right? So use your wealth wisely. Don't desire to be rich but be content with the simple necessities of life. But if God desires to bless you in that predicament, um, use it for his glory and for our good, uh, for, the, for the church's good, but for the greater good of God. Set your hope on him. Guard yourself from pride and idolatry. And let your joy in God over, overflow in a wealth of liberality to a lost and to a needy world. Amen. 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 Let us pray. Almighty God, hear our prayers this morning and make us faithful stewards of the fragile riches of this earth so that we may be entrusted with the riches of heaven. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.